as we come to the end of Mark's Gospel, we're trying to uh, make it fit in with Easter. And we are in Pontius Pilate's judgment hall. He was the Roman governor of Judea. And Jesus has had his religious trial before the Jewish leaders. But they can't put anybody to death. So in order to have the death sentence, they take him to the Roman governor, Pontius Pilate. And we want to finish looking this morning at something that happens in this trial, which is a beautiful picture of the gospel. So Pilate, the more he questions Jesus, the more convinced he becomes that this is an innocent man. Now, it's the reverse, isn't it, with us? Uh, the more you look into somebody, often the more skeletons come out of the cupboard. But it's the other way around with Jesus of Nazareth. So Pilate, being the wily politician, comes up with a cunning plan in order to try and get Jesus released without uh, having to face the ire, the anger of the crowd. That's his dilemma. So this is his plan. It's Passover and a tradition during Passover. I think going back uh, to the Exodus when Israel were freed from Egypt, this tradition allowed the people to choose one prisoner who was guilty and set him free. So Pilate thinks like this. I'll choose for them the worst prisoner I've got. And I'll give them a choice. This prisoner, who's so obviously guilty of the worst crimes, and Jesus of Nazareth. And they're bound to choose Jesus to be freed. Uh, in Matthew, you have the question put very plainly. Whom do you want me to release to you? Barabbas, who was the criminal, or Jesus, who is called Christ? So that's what I want us to look at this morning. Barabbas or Christ? Before we come to look at the illustration here, the changing of places, we just want to look at the choice. Barabbas or Christ? That's the choice facing you and me this morning. Barabbas, who is this Barabbas? Well, if you put the account in all four Gospels together, you will have these details. He was a murderer, and he'd committed this crime as part of a terrorist group. They were called zealots, and they tried to use force to take uh, the kingdom of Israel back to themselves from the Romans. And so we can think of Barabbas as a modern-day terrorist fighting a guerrilla warfare. And such people believe they're doing the right thing by killing innocent uh, men, women, and children. So this is the kind of person Barabbas was. Just as in Jesus' day, so in our day, this is the worst kind of criminal, is it not? Interestingly, Barabbas is his surname. Do you know what his first name was? You won't believe this. Jesus. 
Jesus Barabbas. Isn't that interesting? The word Jesus means deliverer, somebody who saves. And the people probably thought, uh, who were supportive of Barabbas, this is the kind of deliverer we want. Somebody who will save us from the Romans. A military politician. That's uh, why a lot of people were disappointed with Jesus. He was the wrong Jesus. What a contrast. What a contrast. The two Jesuses here. Um, J.C. Ryle, good old Bishop Ryle. The one Jesus was a sinner against God and man. A murderer stained with many crimes. The other Jesus was the holy, harmless, and undefiled, utterly pure son of God in whom there is no fault at all. But there's something else about Barabbas. There's something else. Do you know what the surname Barabbas means? Um, I'm sorry to go into names here this morning. Do you know what Bar means in Hebrew? It's son, son. Abbas is Abba. You all know what Abba means. Not the Swedish pop group, but father, father. So Barabbas means son of a father, son of a father. And I remember Roger Carswell, when he was with us, putting it like this. Son of not just the father who was his earthly father, but going all the way back. Who was the father of Barabbas? Adam. Barabbas is standing for you and for me. The son of Adam. The son of his father. And this is why uh, this is such a picture of the gospel of Jesus Christ this morning. Barabbas or Christ. Guilty, criminal, innocent, perfect son of God. And Barabbas is standing for all of us. We are all sons of Adam. That's why we're in the states that we're in. Uh, this is how Krumacher, a brilliant German commentator on the sufferings of Jesus Christ, put it like this. Barabbas represents the human race in its present condition as fallen from God in a state of rebellion against the divine majesty, bound in chains and under the curse till the day of judgment. In other words, Barabbas is in death row. He's about to be executed at any moment. And that's the picture of humanity. Now, you will protest, probably. Pastor, I'm not a murderer. I'm not a terrorist. I'm not an insurrectionist. No, we are not. But when it comes to our relationship to God, then we are. This is what the Bible calls sin. Yes, sin is murder and violence. But it's also sin to uh, be jealous and to have unclean thoughts, and to be covetous in wanting things. Barabbas is you and me. Like Barabbas, we are everything. Jesus is not. The more you put yourself before Jesus Christ the more you feel yourself to be a wretched, fake, and a sinner. 
you know, we're good at comparing ourselves to one another, aren't we? <laughs> Especially in Wales, we're good at trying to keep up with the Joneses or not keep up with them. I'm not as bad as they are. But try comparing yourself with Jesus Christ, my friend. And you are completely sinful. I'm completely sinful. A guilty sin imprisons us and will not let us go. We've broken God's holy law and we're under his judgment. And like Barabbas, we are waiting on death row. For the penalty of sin is death. And after death, the judgments forever and forever. Have you got to that point where you see yourself, not other people now, but you see yourself as Barabbas. I am the son of my father. Uh, you know, Jesus, as I mentioned last week, said to the religious leaders of his day, you are of your father, the devil. They claimed Abraham as their father and they thought they were of good stock. But he said to them, you are of your father, the devil. Have we got to that stage where we say, yes, I'm of my father, Adam. And because Adam fell, I've fallen. And I may not be an out and out sinner, but in my heart, there is all sorts of evil desire. And I stand guilty before God. And I've got no arguments with God. Even if he was to send me to hell, that's what I deserve. I'm Barabbas. You're Barabbas. How did Wesley put it? Describing his condition before he was uh, saved. Long my imprisoned spirit lay fast bound in chains by sin and nature's night. Barabbas, you and I were born in chains and we can't release ourselves. We can't. The more you try, the more you become bound. Let's look at Jesus. We've looked at Jesus Barabbas. He's representing us. Look at Jesus the king of the Jews. You couldn't have a greater contrast. In the account in John, do you know what Pilate says? Um, is it Greek? Eke homo? Eke homo? Behold the man. That's what God wants us to do this morning. Yes, we've seen Barabbas and ourselves in Barabbas. But now, look at the king of the Jews. Look at this perfect God-man. There never was a person like Jesus of Nazareth. It doesn't matter what our religion is. There is no other religion that says that God came into this world and became one of us. In that sense, Jesus of Nazareth is unique. Not only was he a perfect human being, utterly spotless, but he's the son of God. Just as Barabbas is the son of his father, so Jesus of Nazareth is the son of his father. Jesus of Nazareth is not the son of Adam in that sense. Yes, the lineage goes back to Adam, so he's the second Adam, but really he's the son of his heavenly father, is he not? And as a result, he is spotless. And it's a no-brainer, a perfectly innocent man, a spotless human being who's never sinned, who's even the true king of the Jews, the son of God. And this criminal? Do you know what the people say? Release Barabbas. Release Barabbas. And crucify Jesus of Nazareth. 
That's humanity to a T, my friend. Do you know that's sin at its worst? I read a quote recently which said, you can tell of a society how moral they are in terms of not how they treat the good and the best, but how they treat the poor and the vulnerable. And you've got the most vulnerable man here in history, Jesus of Nazareth, and he's being treated in the worst possible way. So what Pilate does, think of him now as this careerist politician, he tries to make the people have pity on Jesus. So do you know what he does? The Romans had a system, uh, if they wanted to teach somebody a lesson, uh, they would give them a flogging, not hard enough to kill them, but enough to make them regret what they did, and then they would release them. So this is Pilate's idea. It's misleading in Mark's account because the flogging comes after uh, the exchange between Jesus and Barabbas. But actually, it was part of the trial, right? It was part of the trial. So Pilate decides to let the Roman soldiers give Jesus a good flogging. Uh, and then he presents him again before the crowd. And he's so, so uh, abused now. Pilate thinks the crowd are bound to demand that Jesus is released. Now, I don't want to go into gory details. That's not the role of a preacher. And I have to mention what kind of flogging Jesus had. So let's try and do this without getting into too much uh, blood. Uh, so uh, in the account in Mark, if you've got a Bible, uh, look at verse 16. They led him to a place and they used a whip to flog him. So uh, you've got the reference to the flogging at the end of verse 15. He had scourged him. He flogged him. You've got more details in other Gospels. But this whip was made uh, from uh, leather and uh, it had pieces of bone and uh, pieces of metal in the leather tails, right? So as a person is flogged by this, uh, the uh, metal and the bone, they rip through the skin. I don't need to say any more, do I? It's a horrible, painful experience. And then the next thing they do is they take, uh, verse 17, they take a, a Roman robe, a purple robe, and they take Jesus' clothes off him, and they give him this robe, and they make fun of him. They mock him as if he was the king of the Jews. They take a thorn bush, and we mustn't think now of our British thorns, which are pretty small, uh, but these were very large, uh, spiky thorns, and they uh, twist together from this thorn bush something that looks like a crown, and they didn't just put him on, on the head of Jesus, this crown. They squeezed that crown on his head so that the thorns would dig into uh, his uh, skull and the blood would be pouring out and they took a reed and they beat him with a reed and they gave him the reed to hold as a scepter a ruling rod and they made fun of him and they said to him hail king of the jews this is the son of god the king of kings and he's being treated like this You know, when John said, the word, the eternal word, which was God, became flesh. I think this 
is the ultimate in becoming flesh. Becoming flesh so that he has been beaten, so that the blood is pouring out of him, so that he's wounded, so that he is made fun of. The Apostles' Creed does say he suffered, not just on the cross, but under Pontius Pilate's. And Pilate causes this victim to stand now before the crowd. Uh, if you ever go to All Souls Langham Places, I mentioned a few weeks ago, in London, the church where John Stott was, there's a big picture there of Eke Homo, behold the man, and he's in his robe, the red Roman robe. He's holding the reed in his hand. He's got a crown of thorns upon his head. The blood is pouring down. Behold, this is the king. Now, what I'm coming to here is the exchange, right? This is the gospel. This, this, is, this is so amazing. <laughs> Even in a day of small things, uh, don't you love what God has done in Jesus Christ. We've got a picture of it here. If you want the gospel in one word, it's exchange. Exchange. That's why I'm doing this action all morning. <laughs> exchange. Do, do you know what's amazing here? The plan of the religious leaders, which is really the devil's plan, he's behind it, is coming to a head. They want to kill Jesus. But the plan of God is also converging with the plan of the devil. And they're both converging at one place, the cross. Both the plan of men and the devil and the plan of God are going to the same place, the death of Jesus Christ. You see, this is what, what I find astounding. The religious leaders think, and the devil behind them, that in putting Jesus to death, they're going to do away with him. And they think they are now going to win. But actually, they are just pawns. They are pawns in God's hands. And God is overruling. And God is letting evil have its day. And through that, God is going to bring his salvation. Wonderful. From the jaws of defeat on the cross, God is going to bring his glorious victory and his salvation to pass. So I don't know if these Roman soldiers realized they were actually fulfilling prophecy in scourging, in flogging Jesus. Isn't it interesting that Isaiah, many, many centuries before, not referring to the cross only, but referring to what happened in the Praetorium, we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, but he was wounded for our transgressions. That's not the cross. That's what's been happening here. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The punishments, the chastisements of our peace was upon him. And by his stripes, the stripes talk about the wounds that the whip leaves behind. By his stripes, we are healed. It all speaks of the gospel, the exchange. He suffered instead of Barabbas, instead of you and me. And then there's something else here which illustrates the exchange. The fact that he had his clothes taken away from him and he was uh, clothed with an old, tattered Roman robe, the purple robe. 
Isn't that a beautiful illustration of the exchange of the gospel? Uh, the Lord was clothed, the pure, spotless Son of God was clothed with a robe of shame so that we might be clothed with his righteousness. An exchange. And the crown of thorns. What's thorns a sign of, do you know, in the Bible? Thorns are a sign of what happened in paradise to our first parents when they fell, when sin came into the world. Thorns became a symbol of living in this fallen world. And what does Jesus do? He takes the thorns upon his head. He becomes the scapegoat. Uh, you know, when a person does something wrong and uh, a company needs to find a scapegoat, we're told, aren't we, in the news, heads are going to have to roll. It's Jesus' head that's going to roll here. Uh, we can't sing some of these hymns because we haven't got recordings of them. They're in our hymn book. And you have to be careful with some of them that the physical uh, violence that Jesus suffered doesn't become too gory. But some of the German hymn writers at the time of Wesley, uh, they wrote, the Moravians we call them, they wrote about the sufferings. And listen to this. Speaking of Jesus, thy crown... They crown thy head with thorns. They smite, they scourge thee with cruel mockings to the cross. They urge thee. And do you know what the best part is of this gospel illustration? Jesus Barabbas swaps places with Jesus, the king of the Jews. This exchange Barabbas and Jesus change places. <laughs> the hymn goes on to say, Whence came these sorrows, Jesus? Whence this mortal anguish? Here's the answer. He's changed places with you and me. It is my sins for which thou, Lord, must languish. Yea, all the wrath, all the anger of God the woe thou dost inherit for me, for me. They change places. They change places. Imagine Barabbas on that Good Friday morning, waking up in his cell, thinking, this is it, I'm going to be put to death today. I don't know if he would have had a last meal like they do today. He would have heard footsteps coming down the corridor. The door opening. And he was fully expecting the summons to come. We're taking you to Golgotha. But instead, he's being told, you're free. You're free. Do you think he believed it at first? I don't think he would have, would he? But once it dawned that he was free. I know this is a picture of the gospel. We don't know if Barabbas was saved. But 
My friend, if I was in Barabbas' shoes, I would be absolutely overwhelmed. If I'd been told that even though I deserve to be executed, that I am a guilty criminal, that in mercy, the judge has uh, found a way to have another Jesus stand in my place, I would be so grateful to that Jesus, wouldn't you be? Can, can, can you imagine? I'm using my imagination. Please bear with me. Barabbas going out that morning. And Barabbas uh, seeing a crowd. Uh, the crowd leave uh, the place before Pilate's judgment hall. And following uh, this Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus of Nazareth carrying his cross on the Via Dolorosa. And Barabbas thinking, that was supposed to be me. That was supposed to be me. That cross was meant for me. Could you imagine Barabbas, I can, saying to people, that was supposed to be me. This is amazing. He's going in my place to the execution. And then maybe, we don't know, maybe Barabbas was one of the crowd that stood at Calvary and saw Jesus on the cross and saw the sufferings. And he would have said, that was meant for me. For me. Sorry, another hymn. <laughs> Thy grief and bitter passion, Jesus. Passion is suffering. We're all for sinners gain. Not just Barabbas, but you and me. Mine, mine was the transgression, that sin. But thine, the deadly pain. What's your response, my friend? To this exchange. We're not good enough. As I said to the children. We're impure. Only Jesus is good enough. And in God's love. Our places were exchanged. So that our sins could be punished on Jesus. And God's anger. Be placed on him. So that you and I could be forgiven. There's only one response. Lo here I fall my saviour. Tis I deserve thy place. Look on me with favour, vouchsafe to me thy grace. Is that your response? Thank God for this gospel. Thank God I don't have to uh, be good enough. Thank God, even though I belong to Barabbas, that Jesus has taken my place. Thank God that the Christian life is not one of uh, bondage in order to gain brownie points with God. It's one of service because I can't get over the fact that he loved me and gave himself for me. No wonder Wesley went on to say, my chains fell off. My heart was free. I rose, went forth and followed thee. Amazing love. Have you read Charles Dickens? My favourite Charles Dickens novel is A Tale of Two Cities. It's about the French Revolution. And a Frenchman called Charles Darnie is awaiting execution by guillotine. And his friend, Sidney Carton, they look alike, hearing about this, wants to find a way to save Charles Darnie. So he gets, on the night before the execution, he gets a pass to visit his friend in his cell. 
And this is what they do. They change clothes. So Charles Darney is clothed in uh, Sidney Carton's fine clothes, and Sidney Carton changes place with Darney and wears his rags. There's an exchange. And on the next day, Sidney Carton is executed as Charles Darney. And Charles Darney is free. He's free. That's fiction. That's fiction. And Sidney Carton, before he died, famous words said, it is a far, far better thing that I do than I have ever done. It is a far, far better rest that I go to than I have ever known. My friends, this is not fiction. Barabbas was really freed. We don't know if he became a Christian. But even if he didn't, I'm sure for the rest of his dying day, until then, he was more than grateful to Jesus of Nazareth. But you and I can know a release greater than Barabbas's in this picture here of the gospel. Because Jesus has died for our place and taken the wrath of God instead of us. If we trust in him, bow the knee to him, then we are free from sin. Free. We still struggle with it. But we're no longer under its judgment. We're no longer under its power. Jesus has come into our hearts. And even though we still fail him, we, we're free. Don't you want to be a Christian? And if you are a Christian, don't you love Jesus Christ for taking your place? Don't you?